0: my brief was you either fix him or he goes he can no longer throw things at people he can no longer yell at teams we know he can't retire so we need you to fix him and i had 12 months with him so i'm sitting in the boardroom and he's walked in and i can remember him saying to me so girly what do you think you're here to do today
1: Welcome to Beeline, a podcast brought to you by the Hive Change Consultancy and hosted by its CEO, Andrew Tilling. My name's Gemma Aston, and I'm part of the leadership team at the Hive. Our job is to serve leaders like you who are committed to making a positive impact. I've put together this podcast series and invited some passionate and knowledgeable changemakers to help us find the Beeline. The simplest way to bridge the gap between pain points and solutions and to give you the resources to support your leadership journey. Beeline. Lead the way.
2: Big challenge facing any leader is how do we set ourselves up to success after we've gone? And if anybody has read any of the work of people like Jim Collins and the understanding of the level five leadership, you'll know that ensuring that you've got a strong leadership team behind you is essential for building a business that can grow to scale become great as Jim Collins frames it Um, but also when it comes to making a long standing impact in the world continue to make that impact long after you've gone as a leader. So empowering future leaders is essential. Big question is when does that start and how best to deliver it? Well, to help us with that, our guest today is somebody who has almost three decades experience in developing leadership, um, mainly through executive coaching, but also programs now where she shifted her focus rather than training long uh, longstanding leaders actually training young leaders, people who are very young, just starting out in their careers and looking to get those seeds of leadership into place. Lisa Moritz has experience across a wide range of different industries and has worked at every different level of organization, training everybody from salespeople to senior executives. It is my great pleasure to have her on board today with Beeline. Welcome, Lisa.
0: Thanks, Andrew. It's really nice to be here
2: just thanks for bringing you know so much of you to this i mean you you are somebody who you know leads with an awful lot of heart and that seems to really actually go right through your organization's values i mean you you created the umana group which of course is it's italian right i should know this because i live in italy for for human
0: right (laughs) yeah it is and and i guess i wanted something when i first started thinking about names i wanted something that actually meant and was the essence of what I did, and what I was about to embark on, and I think everything that we do now is all around human wear. So there you go, human was born.
2: <laughs> human wear. So we've had software. Did, do you know? I seem to remember old jokes about you know it's a hardware problem. It's like yeah, it's a wetware problem. We generally mean right. It's the <laughs> it's the person's fault. What, what, yeah. What's with putting? What is with with putting humans right at the heart of it? why why do you think why do you think that's so important right now?
0: Well, I think also too, there's a lot of uncertainty with artificial intelligence and all of those things coming through where people are actually really uncertain about where they're starting to fit in the world. Mm-hmm. And I think when we can humanise our workforce and what we're trying to achieve, it gives them that confidence back that we're not going to be made redundant, right? Well, hopefully not in our lifetime, but I think it's really important we invest and we don't forget that we engage with humans. It is everything that we do, whether we're you know, going to the shops or we're filling up petrol, it's, we still need to have that human engagement. And if I take it back and I'm probably going to go off one of those tangents I did warn you about, coffee we can actually make coffee at home but we choose to go out and buy coffee and I sometimes don't think it's just to get the coffee it's to have a chat to our local barista or you know meet the locals that are there and it's just giving us a sense of purpose and community and I think that that's what it does in our workplace as well Sorry,
2: I, no, I did warn you, at that. Um, <laughs> no, you. You're bringing up memories of me for somebody who um, it was a huge creative that I used to work with. Um, and he would uh, do, spend a lot of time writing and his local bills, which is a kind of restaurant come coffee place during the day as well um, in Guildford, ended up actually having a little black made for his table just saying omid's desk i mean oh. you know it's because that that value of being able to come on out you can lose yourself and immerse yourself but also to have people around you just yeah. gives you that there's an extra lift isn't it there's that there's that bit of a change of state that's around you and um, it's more engaging the human bit of interaction i think makes a yeah. tremendous impact on our well-being
0: and it does and you know i think in the crazy world we're coming out of hopefully more and more people are getting out. I mean, people were locked up for such a long period of time and we found them wanting to go out to parks and just getting out to actually see other humans and other people. And I think that led to testament of what and who we are. Mm -hmm. And it goes all the way through the workplace as much as we think. I can remember when COVID first kicked in and I'm from Australia. So everyone was like, oh, great. We're going to have a couple of weeks off. We're going to be able to stay home. I was the first one that did a shopping list of all the things my partner was going to do while he was at home, <laughs> but that quickly changed, right? So it did prove that we needed we needed that epipen in the arm, that humanized jumpstart to say, "Yep, yeah, we're important and we're valued." And you know, I'm I'm one of those people. You know, we fill up our car with fuel. I mean, my fuel is interacting, engaging with people. And take that out of the equation. (laughs) You know, I'm all for staying at home and hanging out and being on my own. But I just, I love that human interaction. And and I think that that comes to the core about what I do and and what I stand for with my teams and the people I work for. And it's settling in with them and, and actually asking those tough questions, right? But sometimes we fear away from those too because we don't actually want to hear what people have got to say because maybe we don't know how to handle that, which is sometimes a bit sad.
2: So bringing a bit of humanity into the heart of um, the work that we do as leaders and recognising the impact that can help in making and in, uh, leading our teams totally get that. I imagine that can sometimes be difficult though when that's not been the leadership style that you've grown up with. And you oh, are yeah. now heading up a team, you know, you've got a changing emerging culture that's coming around you come, as you we bring on younger and younger people, um, yeah. or rather we're getting older and older. <laughs> so
1: <Thanks>. the contrast,
2: <laughs> I mean, well, it mean, wasn't I'm necessarily you, including. You brought no. me into that we. <laughs> Speech as leaders um so yeah i mean but my model of of what leadership was was never that you know and and now to try to create that in my teams um because i i certainly i mean you know the values at the hive you know empathy is right at the heart of it and having that vulnerability is essential for that because we think that's what helps create courage um that that feels like a huge change culturally yeah. from what I've experienced in the workplace before. Um, so I'm I'm curious then about where you see the challenges are for leaders who've who've never experienced that as a culture, how they can bring in some of that humanity into their leadership.
0: And it is really interesting. I, I'm going to probably take you forward to what made me focus on young leaders because I guess that's what we're here today to talk about so I've done executive coaching for a very long time and what I found was my more experienced leaders the behaviors were ingrained they were bruised they had been through a lot and not necessarily had the opportunity to talk to someone or have some coaching or guidance and And if it's okay, I'll share this quick story with you. I was commissioned to spend a 12-month period with an executive leader who was 69. Now, my brief was you either fix him or he goes. He can no longer throw things at people. He can no longer yell at teams. Um, We know he can't retire. So we need you to fix him. And I can remember sitting there thinking, boy, I've never come across this before. And I had 12 months. So I did my situational behavior assessment and I was about to deliver it with him. And so I'm sitting in the boardroom and he's walked in and, um, and I can remember him saying to me, so girly, what do you think you're here to do today? Wow. <laughs> And I just looked at him and I said, we're going to work together for 12 months. How exciting is that? And he said, that's not the words I'd be choosing. And he said, and I I promise I won't swear on this. And he said to me, what is this such and such? And I said, this is your report to let me know how you're actually feeling. Now, this is someone in their almost 70s. And I'm talking about feeling. And how he's behaving. Well, he picked it up after a few profanities and went to throw it in the bin and told me to hightail it out. So I said to him, I just sat there and I said to him, I'm not leaving. And he said, Well, I got news for you. And I said, If I walk out that door, you follow me because you won't have a career here or a job here anymore. And that was really hard for him because he had never had any training. He'd never read a book, a past grade seven. He had been with the organisation for some 45 years, but he had been promoted because of his tenure. And I can remember thinking, we failed this man. Like not me, but the organisation that commissioned me to do it, they had failed him because they just assumed that that was his next step and that that's how, progression happened in the 70s, 80s, 90s and 2000s. And after a year, I must say, I'll fast forward, we actually went through some amazing moments. We went through some horrible moments too, Um, but he actually, 12 months on, he actually broke through. We actually gave him the toolkits to cope and understand his behavior. And I can remember I was invited to his birthday, his 70th birthday, and I didn't know any of his family. I thought, look, I'll pop in for a little bit and just say hi. And this older lady came up and she said to me, you, Lisa? And, she, and I said, yes. And she broke down and cried and said, you've saved my marriage. Because he was also behaving like that at home. So I fast-tracked my whole world and thought, I don't want to see this happen to another person. So that's why I have worked really hard at developing young leaders to give them the toolkit. And look, it's not going to solve all their problems, right? There will always be something that comes up, but it will be a good start for them to understand what are those really critical building blocks to become a great leader and to be open to learning that continuous jump of leadership. Yeah, that was, that was a really moving story.
2: Yeah, Yeah. I mean, it brings up so much for me, just in terms of thinking of some of the role models that I've worked with in the past. And, and you think, I mean, there's people who who I've I've thought, how did you get there? There's also others that kind of think, I I really respect you. I'm having to work a lot just to make this relationship functional, right? I want to learn from you, but I'm this is hard work, you know, you're not making it easy for me. I really understand that point that we are, you know, as organizations failing that development of people. i reminded of the Peter principle, you know, that idea that we, people are promoted to the, the point where um, they, they are no longer capable of doing their jobs and kind of end up yeah. sticking there, right? So we all end up being promoted to a level of incompetence. But we don't move back down again. Right. We tend to stay there. So what we're effectively doing is is promoting people into creating organizations that simply don't function. Now, I I take that as quite an inspiring perspective because it kind of says, all right, then if I never want that to happen to me, I must continually professionally develop myself. Yeah. Right. And that CPD aspect becomes essential. So I guess making that systematic within organisations of ensuring that that continuous professional development is there is, is essential to make that work. But you seem to have bypassed that completely and just gone in right. Okay, well let's go straight
0: for the young people. Yeah, and it's really interesting because I initially had had spent a lot of my time, you know, going through corporates, going through HR, you know, CFOs, CEOs, all the rest of it. And, you know, we've got some constraints, you know, or we've got budgets and we've got to wait or we're not quite ready yet. And and that's fine. And I respect all of those reasons and rationales. But what I did find is that we weren't delivering the leadership capabilities or training to the teams when they needed it. Mm. So if I appoint you as my new leader, and I say, Andrew, congratulations. We're all high-fiving. You're on cloud nine. You're ringing your family. You've got a great fat paycheck, all the perks that go with it. And then I say, it's oh, great but, to be on board. You know, yeah. If you need me, come and see me. You've got this right. Mm. And you go off and think, what are the first steps that I need to do to be a great leader? You don't think like that. You're thinking about this euphoric moment that you're settling in with. And then you go home and you tell your family and there's beers all around or wines all around or a cup of tea, whatever suits you. And then you wake up in the next morning and you're like, right, you know, all those guys and girls I've been having drinks with Friday afternoon, I've now got to lead them. I don't know how. Now, if I go and say to my boss, boss, can you show me how to do that? The fear, and I've had leaders say, I can't go to my boss and say that because I'll think I can't do my job. And they'll second guess that appointment.
2: hundred percent.
0: And I was there, you know, and I think you and I have had this conversation some 25 years ago. I was appointed a leader and all of those things happened. I can remember, I don't actually think I walked out of the office. I think I just glided. I was this cooker. Mm. And... I can remember getting to my office and going, Oh my God, I'm ringing my family and I'm telling all my team and we're high fiving. And then a week or so later, <laughs> reality kicked in. They're rocking up late. She's not going to mind. All this work is coming in. I don't know how to navigate through all this stuff. And I had to learn the hard way. And I don't want that for people. Mm. I want. I love it nothing more when I, I'm commissioned to a project and and I have a leader say I don't know what I'm doing. And it's so funny the first time I heard that I said, "Have you told your boss that or your leader? Why tell me this?" And they said, "Because you actually don't work for our company and you can help me."
2: <laughs> so the power I of the external pro- yeah.
0: yeah, I know. The power of the external is amazing. Um, I was commissioned to a to do an Emerging Leaders, we called it back in the day, program with an organization, News Corp, you've probably heard heard Mm. of them, a big media agency. So we did a pilot where we had all of their young leaders who were first appointed, come in and do the Emerging Leaders program. And we were with them for the first three months. Honestly, Andrew, I used to go home almost in tears, just with joy. these guys and girls were just so enthusiastic they were so blessed that they actually had someone who was going to sit in their corner they had access to us before and after work seven days a week for that call because what I didn't want was them to lament on things and things start to fester and wait a couple of days um, for our session and things like that so I said to the guys and girls you've got us for three months seven days a week whenever you need us we're here and we did and they were so proud and embraced it because we were setting them up for success not failure and today one of them now is a general manager and he now gets me to come in and do work for his young ones and I feel older (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but he often talks about those days where he didn't know what to do. So, yeah, I am super passionate about this.
2: I've got, you know, a whole bunch of stuff coming up for me. That's kind of thinking, oh, when I think back to that experience, I kind of want to ask you how you'd have dealt with this, how you'd have dealt with that when you had this kind of young, enthusiastic guy who's just been promoted from the field, feels like, you know, he's got to do a Doctor Who regeneration or something a completely change. His presentation of self in order to you know yeah. function in this new role, and let alone updating all the relationships and wanting to go in there as a hero and you know change the world. so you've got all that going on. but rather than talk about how we fix it, let's start this idea about what can young people actually learn to be able to lead uh, because i mean i've I've worked with young people in that youth yeah. setting. I've been deeply impressed by their capability and insight and perspective not always shaped as wisdom but emerging you know um, yeah. so I've got you know a lot of assumed sense of, of what they're capable of doing but in your experience what what can you actually teach a young person about leadership
0: I think there's and look leadership is a huge huge topic right I mean how much time do we have So I- Never enough on
2: Beeline, I know that.
0: (laughs) I know, I know. I like to focus on three things because what I like to do is keep it really simple and give them things to practice that they can actually get a couple of wins under the belt. Mm. So the first one is them. They need to really sit with them and find out who they are. And a lot of this comes through- Emotional intelligence, right? So self-awareness, who are we? Self-regulation, what are those triggers? What are those things that get to my core? What is my motivator? How do I balance this sympathy versus empathy? And do I have the social skill to pull it all together? So that's in essence, the first part is getting to know them. And really understanding, you know, those anxiety moments. What What's caused that? How did they feel? How did they come back to reality? You know, when we're really heightened, how is it breath work? Is it going for a walk? Is it listening to a favourite song? Because we have to be able to pull ourselves back into the now. Because when we're all heightened and stressed, We can't think logically, right? And I heard this the other week and I thought this was a really good visual for me. Never make big decisions in a valley. In a valley? So when we're dipped Mm. and we're in a really, whether it's depressed, anxiety, low point now, career, we should never make those big decisions because those peaks and valleys will rise and they'll come and go and I often say for every dark day there's a sunny one around the corner but we should probably try to steer away making those big decisions when we're in those valleys so that's the first one is getting to know us it is okay to cry it is okay to be upset it is okay to be angry all those feelings that we get that As children, we're told, don't cry, don't be angry. Like if I'm in a park and I see a mom say to a girl, a little girl or a little boy, don't cry. And I'm thinking, no, let them cry. It's okay. Um, Then you can start to, to cope with those things. But when we try to push them down and not allow ourselves to feel, that's when I think we're in trouble. Mm-hmm. Because we start to backpack, right? So Bob comes in late. We don't want to say anything, right? So we'll just backpack it, comes in late again, and someone else oh. does. And then all of a sudden we throw up on someone's desk, right? So it's about understanding our triggers and what gets us going. But if we can find out who we are first, I think that will serve us better. The second there's kind of a double one here, is values and culture. What are the values of the business and what are the values of me? Are they aligned? Do I believe in the values of the business? Do my team know what the values are? Do the team know what my values are? And the other one is the culture. What is the culture that you want to ingrain into your business? Is it good now? Do you want to continue it? Do you want to remodel that culture? Because it's funny, I I hear a lot about IQ, EQ. Now it's culture, intelligence. Mm. This is massive at the moment. And people need to know and need to be reminded. They need to be reminded of their values every day. I, I just came off a fairly big contract and it was a culture piece. We had to redefine the culture. We had to, we had a lot of stuff going on. So I would go through the culture, val- sorry, the values with the team every day and why they were chosen. And we would focus on one every day. So that's the second piece. And the third piece is your team. Focus on your team and understand them understand what drives them and if you haven't employed them find out why they were employed because if you can go back to that day if you can go back to that memory or back to that why that spark might come back again and if they've fallen off the rails it's usually for a really good reason so spending time with your team consistently giving them the airtime. I can't tell you how many organizations I've been involved with that don't deliver their performance reviews on time. They're meant to be in July. They might do them September, October. What does that tell our teams that we're not important? Sitting down with them once a month and for 20, 30 minutes, it doesn't have to be a lot. And just asking them, how are they? But really, from the heart. It
2: doesn't take a lot, does it? It makes such a big difference to everything, you know? Yeah. You know, for me, it's, it's just not only asking the question, but making sure I've got the time for the reply that yeah. I'm learning is because yeah. really important.
0: Oh, I know. But there's a few questions, and, and I always hand this out. It's, how are you? And really, how are you? What can I do to lead and support you better? Do you love what you do? And what are your dreams? Hmm. Four questions. And And it's just, and at first they're like, oh, no, everything's great. Everything's, oh, no, I love my job. And it's like, do you really love what you do? And I think there's this big fear. If I don't say I love what I do, I'm going to be moved on. But I challenge any leader or any CFO or any company, don't you want to know that your team love what they do? I mean, it's if, if I teach sales, which I haven't for a little while, first thing I teach is not selling. I'm like, stop selling. People yeah. don't want to be sold. <laughs> they want to know the people that they're buying from love what they do. And Does that
2: translate into belief in the product belief oh, in the business it's a belief also it. in the service we can provide to you it's that authenticity is just yeah everywhere right
0: yeah yeah so i guess
2: that then translates yeah if you're gonna then apply that same idea to the people that you lead if you're committed yeah. and you're engaged and you're curious about how they're doing and you're you know what's leadership authenticity right
0: yeah and it's knowing their names I know that sounds really simple, but when you've got, especially, and I do feel for some, some leaders, they've got big teams, right? But you'd need to know their names mm. because that's that real connection. I was really inspired. I was doing some work in Toronto and Canada when I was living over there. And I was very blessed to do a walkthrough with a big corporate, the director of the business said I will walk you through and introduce you to everyone he knew every one of his team members on the floor on the shop floor he knew Mm. their wife or their husband or their partner's name he knew what was up and coming and this is so
2: painful sorry to interrupt you but I'm just feeling my, my yeah the audience there you know because it's like we've got a lot of successful people on here the problem with successful people is that you grow Right, and your teams yep. get bigger and you start with this group of seven people where you've got this amazing culture, it's fantastic, it's going to be glorious. Suddenly you're at 25 yep. and it's like, oh, heck. And I don't have those people directly reporting to me. I've got people upon people. Now it's 40, now it's 100. And it's like, and I can imagine that there's just grinding people up inside knowing that just those that those basic hygiene factors of what makes yep. an environment feel like, you you know, you're you're part of it and connected are being missed by people who are otherwise really high performing.
0: I know. And it is so interesting because I cannot tell you, because I observed and I watched. And can I tell you when he walked through that room, it was like he was God. Mm. Because he did take the time. He didn't rush. And he was so relaxed with it. And it inspired me. I said this to him. I said, how often do you do it? And he said, I do it every day. He said, I will, it will vary how much time I spend with them, but he said, I do it every day and practice doesn't make perfect, but it makes it better. He just really blew me away and I will never forget how they felt. They didn't tell me how they felt. I saw how they felt Mm -hmm. and they felt valued. And I think, you know, when I talk to teams about what makes you feel valued, money is not on the agenda. Mm -hmm. I want my boss to know what I do. I want him to care about what I do. And I want to know that he's interested or she is interested. And I think we don't want a lot. There's some other things, you know, they want, you know, a social, they want a family at work and, and all of those things, particularly Mm -hmm. now that COVID's kicked in and you know, there's a lot of uncertainty. They want to know they come to work and that's safe and stable, Mm -hmm. but, um, yeah, it's that, like, it's
2: that Maya Angelou quote, isn't it? That people you will always forget what you said to them, but they never forget how you made them feel. How you made right? them feel,
0: yeah. Uh, and I think the value and culture is our roadmap to success. It keeps us on track. Hmm. Because when we constantly remind our teams about our values, you kind of go, oh, yeah, actually, I, I need to be kind to my fellow team members or my customers or whatever those, those values are, but they have to mean something. I've been, you know, over the years, part of organisations where they've just been wards up on the board and you've got to earn those right, you earn the right to put them up on the wall. You've got to live and breathe them. Otherwise, don't have them. And I'm a firm believer of that too. But yeah, the three are you, your values and culture and your team, pretty simple as i said earlier leadership is a minefield there's so much out there you know there's this will make you a great leader and that will make you a great leader and everything we do i mean we don't put big claims and big guarantees and we just want people to know that you know we sit in their corner and we're here to help so it's not a magic dust it's not a pill that you can take you don't do this over a two week period and then you're a great leader this is your life forever and i still study it and i i still get blown away by things that i learn and things that i read and things that i see happening and there's some really good stuff coming
2: in our leadership essentials program we talk a lot about that definition between leadership and management and effectively it's really simple that so, you know if it's anything to do with what you're doing that's management but leadership it's the people and the fact yeah. that you're bringing that insight to people you know, so young, I think can really sow the seeds for a very powerful career, because I think a lot of people don't oh. even grasp that, you know, in, after you know, many years of, of leading teams.
0: Yeah, and I think if I can put it into a percentage, I think it's about 70% about leadership is about people and 30% is about your task. And that's what we want to do. We we don't want them to go through our mess. We want mm. to get them, you know, they're quicker, stronger, with more confidence than what we had. I mean, we had to go through a lot of the mess, right? Well, let's talk about and, the mess.
2: Let's get that really pinned down, all right? Because, you know, yeah. we love this on Beeline. Let's let's kind of, let's model what bad really looks like so we know what we're dealing with and seeing what that comes up. What What for you is a poor leadership environment or poor development of leaders environment. Well I
0: think for me at the moment is absent and it's and it's rife at the moment. The absent leader. My boss is not around. I can't get a hold of him or her. I don't know where to go. I don't I'm not quite sure can I do that? Can't I do that? And I'm coaching a young CFO at the moment and his CEO is MIA. <laughs> and it's interesting because he's really unsure should I be doing this should I not be doing that so I think for me the big ones are absentee the intimidating don't you be better than me Andrew and horrible stifling that enthusiasm let's say I was doing some coaching with a creative director and he was brought on by an organization, super excited. He was going to change the world, do all the rebranding, got his seat on the bus and he wasn't allowed to do anything that they discussed in the interview. He's like, well, why'd you employ me? It's because I was told to. So, you know, those kind of really yucky situations. I had a young girl who was put on as a marketing director and she was all enthusiastic you know sending things through to the ceo it was a female led management team she was super excited and um she got no responses mm-hmm. and um she found out she was only appointed because if the company didn't appoint her they wouldn't have got their grants their government funding so that stuff and I, and I do hear this, oh, you know, generations, the young ones today, they want a lot, they want the, they don't, they just want you to show up. And I often say there is good and bad in every generation. We just seem to label it differently. And I think there's some amazing young ones out there who are guns. I would always encourage, and my advice to anyone, is employ better, employ better than you let them stretch you up and don't be fearful of that. But um, yeah, there's, I have a lot of war stories. I'm not going to tower you down with that.
2: They really resonate. And I feel that there's a, yeah, I, so I'm getting, you know, I'm absent. I'm not there. I'm, I'm essentially promoting through tokenism. I'm not developing people's um, uh, skill set or opportunity. I'm not giving people context or, or clarity and what their goals are i'm um effectively putting people into a post without defining that post in any way nor offering my support behind that post so it's the, it's the uh, it's almost the definition of a non um, non-servant leader you know i'm um, yeah. just all top down there's the pressure no clarity yeah go away not even go do yeah. so if that's bad what, what does the good look like? What, what do we see when we have in place a great um, culture and process and, and um, strategy for developing leadership within our organisations?
0: Well, I liken it to spring. We prepare our garden beds. We get our soil right. We fertilise it. We put a lot of time in. We plant our seeds and our beautiful roses appear right. I knew I'd lose you on
2: that one. <laughs> no, no, you got me so good. It kind of in my head, it was it was kind of like wow. So effectively, the other one just feels like hacking away and pruning. Yeah, just leave a flower. The bulldoze
0: them maybe out. Maybe you see
2: right bulldoze. <laughs> so I love that. I love yeah. that, and also it kind of takes away the sting of um, I expect to see immediate results. Yeah. So, no, we've got we've got we've got nine months before we even start thinking about yielding fruit
0: yeah and it does take time you know when someone comes on and you know whether it's a general manager or if it's a young leader or if it's someone in your organization and most people cringe when I say this it takes a year I need to settle in with the team I need to settle in with the culture I need to settle in with your systems and processes and compliance and whatever those things are I need to understand your customer. Right now, I've been planted in Germany. I have no idea what you guys do, who you are, who my customers are, what are the widgets I have to deal with, and I've got to learn those. Now, if I'm on flight constantly, how am I learning? Mm. How am I problem solving? How am I getting the best out of me for you to deliver our promise? You know, I often say this. Your bricks and mortar are not your biggest asset. It's your humanware. It's your humans that are in your business. You know, it's okay to spend a million dollars on a beautiful fit out of an office or a retail outlet. And yet we don't invest a small portion into our people Mm -hmm. who could, by the way, make or break that business.
2: I think it, it really makes the point so powerfully about just how much not only we need to do for our teams, but also how much we've probably been let down in our own development. And while there may be exceptions to those rules, it says yeah. that there's a lot that we need to look at because in, in, it's still a relatively young science of leadership. It sounds like it's really... Yeah, your your experience and your war stories as you frame them have, have really shaped a lot of insight around that. So what's the beeline? How do we get from you know people feeling just on their own, the bulldozer through the garden to the spring flower bed?
1: I
0: think it's about a lot of the time slowing down, really slowing down and taking some time to say, who is the team I have with me at the moment? Where do they need help and development? And actually reaching out and getting that development. We understand that people don't have a lot of time. And I often say, you know, many hands make for light work, right? And if you can look around and tap into those experts that are really great at things that you're probably not great at, do that. And leaders need to be vulnerable to say, look, I'm not great at training. How about I get someone in to help? And really invest in them. We have to invest in people. We're giving them a pay packet to do a job, but we're not giving them the tools to do it. Mm. So I think you know I think there's some really easy solutions, but I also think leaders need to care for themselves.
2: So as an executive coach of some years standing, Lisa, what would you say? With all the impact that you've made on these organisations and these leaders, what what would you say was the biggest obstacle you've had to overcome?
0: Changing ingrained behaviours. It is really difficult. It is such a long programme. If we can get to our young ones, we can do it more effectively, quicker, because I know that that's what we all love right now, right? I was talking to a Lord Mayor the other day and... And we were talking about, you know, what what age groups a young leader? And I kind of said, oh, you know, 25 to 35. And he said, Lisa, no way. We need to get them into their 17 to 25. He said, because these are our future leaders and they need to learn as soon as they get out of school. Set people up for success, not failure.
2: So if anybody's interested in finding out more about how you support the development of young people and their leadership skills, where do they find you, Lisa?
0: they can come to our website we have a young leaders program set up which is amanagroup.com.au we're in australia so yeah jump on and and say hi we're always open for a good chat as you know andrew and um, this is a real passion project for me i've got a three-part program that i've recorded and written and i've done that so people can actually purchase a program, they can buy it online, and they can then do it in their own home and at their own pace and in their own time. I think that's probably the first step.
2: That's great, Lisa. I, I kind of picked up in that you were in Australia, not by accent or anything, but you're simply saying that for every dark and gloomy day, there's a sunny day around the corner. My experience of growing up in the UK, <laughs> that, that ratio isn't quite accurate. Um Lisa, thank you so much for being on Beeline and sharing some of your experience with, with us. Let's go and plant some seeds and see how we do with that flower bed. Yeah,
0: Thanks, let's get some roses going.
1: Don't miss next week's episode of Beeline when Andrew talks to Katie Mantua-George who is a coach, author, speaker, and meditation teacher, and who helps leaders build a more empathetic and compassionate mindset in their organizations. If you're interested to know more or could do with a reminder about today's episode or any of the other episodes in this series of Beeline, I've collated some notes, links, and resources for you to explore and download at www.consultthehive.com forward slash Beeline. The Hive Change Consultancy provides radically effective training, coaching, and facilitation that enables a dynamic shift in leaders, sales teams, and entire organisational cultures. Get in touch today for an informal chat with one of our team. My name's Gemma Aston, and you've been listening to Beeline Lead the Way.